All right, on the count of three, would you guys say this with me? I want to be better at money. Ready? One, two, three. I want to be better at money. Yeah, today we're, we're wrapping up this series, I Want to Be Better at Money. I hope this has been helpful, but basically just to kind of catch you up if you missed last week or missed a couple weeks and you're kind of coming at the, at the end, we all want to be better at money. I think, I think that's something that's within us because money is a part of, of reality. Money is a part of real life. And every one of us deals with money. And every one of us handles money. We all spend money. We all hope that we could save money. We all hope that we could be generous with money. We all hope that we could get better at money. And that's kind of the, the big tension that we're having, that we're addressing within this series, that we all want to be better at money, but very few of us are willing to work to get better at money. And, and as, even as I say that, there's probably something in you like there would be part of something in me that goes, whoa, 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 I'm not afraid of hard work. And, we, and we're, all, we're, we're, all, we're all good with hard work. But what the difference is here is simply this, that we assume that the only way to get better at money is to have more of it or to make more of it or to get more of it. But what we've said from the beginning is that having more money or getting more money or making more money does not make you better at handling money. It actually oftentimes makes you worse. It makes you spend more. It makes you more foolish. It makes you more reckless. It makes you more, you know, not care about the consequence. It often drives people into more debt, drives people into actually giving less. So that having money, more money, doesn't make you better at handling money. What actually makes you better at handling money is when you decide to approach finances from God's perspective and decide to approach and, and handle finances in a way that honors God with our finances. And so we've been talking about three, um, three different characteristics or three different values, or I think I've called them three different virtues when it comes to, when it comes to our finances. And, and we've talked about two of them so far. Two weeks ago, we talked about the value of discipline. Would you guys say discipline? Yeah, when I said it in first service, it was like, discipline. None of us like that word. None of us are like, yay, I get to be disciplined. But discipline is a biblical value. It's something that God cares about with our finances, that God knows if we'll get disciplined, we can actually do some really good things and see some really good things in our financial life and in our financial picture. We said that if, if we've been in debt, discipline is one of the ways that, that if, we're, if we stay disciplined, it can get us out of debt. We said that if we're on solid footing, being disciplined to stay on budget, it can lead us to to stay on solid footing. And if, we have, if we're trying to set ourselves up for the future, discipline is one of the things that we can do to set ourselves up, our, up for the future. And what we said discipline is, discipline is making the decision to live on less so that you can accomplish more. You can live on less so that you can get out of debt. You can live on less so that you can stay on good footing. You can live on less so that you can set yourself up for the future. We live on less so that we can accomplish more. That's how we choose discipline. The second thing we talked about last week was the idea of generosity. Did you guys say Generosity. Yeah, we talked about generosity. We talked about generosity towards God and others. And, and I don't know that I did a great job of this last week, but the, the idea of generosity is that in discipline, God gets your mind. When it comes to generosity, we give God control of our hearts. And when God gets control of our hearts, we always make better decisions when it comes to our finances. And the best way to give God our hearts when it comes to our finances is to choose generosity towards God and generosity towards others. And so we talked about the idea that, you know, for, for those of us who are rich in this world, and unfortunately, no matter how how poor you think you are, chances are Paul, when he wrote his letter saying, teach the rich people how to do this, chances are most of us would qualify as the rich people who need to pay attention to what Paul said. He said, teach these people to be generous. And so we talked about what generosity looks like, that it's prioritized, that it's regular, that sometimes generosity is a regular thing. It's a weekly thing or a monthly thing. It's something that we do consistently. There's also responsive giving where we give to meet a need, where we see a, see a need and we meet it. We see a need and we meet it. And then there's radical giving where we give above and beyond and we give towards things 
things like the Christmas future offering or we give towards something that, that, that we can't like, we, we go, man, this is a stretch. This is a big deal. I don't know if I can even afford this, but we give in a radical way because if God didn't even hold back his own son from us, why would we hold back anything from our God? And so we talked about generosity last week. And today we're gonna talk about the third idea, uh, the third virtue, the third value, the third, dis, the, th- the third thing to embrace. And it's simply the word sacrifice. Would you guys say sacrifice? Yeah, sacrifice. That's almost as fun as the word discipline, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh, get, oh sacrifice. Not only are we disciplined and not only are we generous, but like sacrifice? Yeah, we're going to talk about what it looks like to sacrifice. And, and, and at the end of the day, here's the thing with sacrifice. Sacrifice is not a third one to add on to the other two. It's not like, well, we've got discipline and we've got generosity and now we're going to add on sacrifice when it comes to our finances. No, no, no. What I know and what you know is that sacrifice when it comes to our finances is actually the foundation of discipline. Sacrifice is the foundation of generosity. What you know and what I know is that to choose to be a person who's, who's disciplined, it will always require a sacrifice, won't it? It'll always require a sacrifice. Choosing to be a person who lives on budget means you say no to a whole lot of things that are not on the budget that you still like and you still appreciate and you used to enjoy, but now you're saying no because you want to live on budget. Choosing to get out of debt is something that you, you, know, you, you kind of behaved or spent your way into by not saying no to anything. And choosing to be disciplined to get out of debt means that you'll have to say no to some things that maybe you even need, but, you will, but you'll say no because you know there's a bigger thing in mind. You, so discipline is something that is always has, has a foundation of sacrifice. And generosity is the same way. Generosity is the same way. Making the decision to be a percentage giver or to be a regular giver. Trust me, like I know there is sacrifice behind every check that gets written to the church, every bit of cash that gets given to the church, every transaction that happens online where people give online or through text. I know there's sacrifice behind all of that. I know, I know that when you're giving, you're choosing to not go out to eat sometimes. I know that when you're giving, you're choosing to spend less on shoes. I know when you're, when you're giving, you're choosing to say, hey, you know what, we're going to say no to this so we can say yes to God. Like, I know there's sacrifice behind every bit of generosity. When we say yes to God, we're sometimes saying no to ourselves. And so, so sacrifice is ultimately choosing something above above that. And so today, to give you kind of the definition that we're going to work from when it comes to sacrifice, here's the definition of sacrifice. Sacrifice is saying no to something that you love because you love something else more. That's what sacrifice is. That's what sacrifice is when it comes to our finances. That's what sacrifice actually is when it comes to many different areas of our lives, our time and all kinds of different stuff. But sacrifice in our finances is saying no to something that you love because you love something else more. In other words, what we see on the other side of our sacrifice, we make a sacrifice because we believe there's something on the other side of it that's of greater value than the thing that we're sacrificing. And what we see over there, we go, man, that's so worthwhile. I'm willing to give this up in the here and now because I see something good then and there. That's what sacrifice is. That's what sacrifice does. It's the, it's the idea that the weight off of my shoulders of being debt-free is worth the sacrifice now. It's worth living below our means now. The confidence of knowing that we can financially survive some rainy days or some emergencies is worth giving up a lunch out here and there. It's that the, the idea that the pride in supporting the work of God through the local church and through missions is worth the cost of spending a little less on clothes and shoes. It's saying, there's something that I love so much that I'm even willing to give up something that I love now, I love going out to eat, but I'm willing to give it up because I believe in what's there. There's, there's, I, I, I love new clothes and I love new shoes, but I'm willing to give it up because I love something else more. We love something so much that we give up something 
that we love just a little bit less. Jordan Peterson, who wrote an incredible book called called 12 Rules for Life, he said this in, in, in the book. He said that something that every human eventually learns is that something better might be attained in the future by giving up something of value in the present. He said, look, Human beings, eventually we all kind of figure out there's, there, there's, we, we make trades in the here and now for the then and there that there's something in the future of incredible value and I can't get it unless I'm willing to give up something of value now. So one of the best ways that I learned the value of sacrifice was watching the example of my parents, um, specifically in, in their decision uh, to, when I, while I was in elementary and middle school to, uh, to homeschool myself and my sister. Now, I know it's shocking to most of you. You're like, Chris was homeschooled. He's so normal and so well-adjusted socially. Um, Thought there might be a little after there. Okay, maybe you actually do think that. Wow, okay, right. So, so like, you know, I, I was homeschooled for seven years. I, went, I was homeschooled from first grade all the way through seventh grade. I went back to school in eighth grade because I begged my parents to play football and they wouldn't let me, the school system wouldn't let me play football until, unless I was actually enrolled in school. And so I begged my parents. I said, Mom, I, like, I've got to go to school so I can, you know, get the scholarship for playing football because I have such elite athleticism, and I, but I've got to get in a program. And they said, absolutely, Chris, you're 5'9 and weigh 230 pounds, but You've got a future in the NFL. And so anyway, so they sent me back to school. But I remember, like, I remember the, the sacrifice, and I watched the sacrifices that they made in, in the decision to, to take me out of public school and to, and to, and to begin to homeschool me and, my, and my, my, my sister and I. And I say my sister and I because I learned good grammar in, uh, in, in homeschool. Um, and so I remember I, I, went, I went to public school for kindergarten. I went to Riverview Elementary, uh, and I was in Mrs. Wade's class. And Mrs. Wade was a wonderful old lady. She was so, so, so sweet. She led an incredible nap time, like as, as, which as a five-year-old, like this is the weird thing about like nap time in kindergarten. When you're five years old, you don't want to take a nap ever, right? You, you do not appreciate the thing that you're receiving as a five-year-old when you get to take nap time. Now that I'm 36, I'm like, if I could just get an hour a day that's just dedicated to nap time, that'd be wonderful. And I didn't appreciate it then, but I would so appreciate it now. Anyway, so we, we had nap time. And, and one of the things that my parents kind of watched is like I they had they had done a lot of like you know teaching and helping me learn some things on on my own at home before I even started school and so I went to kindergarten already knowing how to read uh, and already knowing a lot of kind of like basic math basic arithmetic type of stuff and in in the year of kindergarten that, that I had had we didn't quite get through the entire alphabet and so, and so my parents went, oh my goodness, like, like I, I get, apparently I was just coming home bored, 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 and they told me, like, I, it was pretty obvious that I was getting very bored, and I was, they, they were concerned that I was going to be very stuck, and so they were worried that, that I wasn't being challenged enough, so they thought homeschool might be a good option for there, and so they started thinking about it because of that, and then they decided, because they heard a rumor that I heard while I was at school, that there were third graders at Riverview Elementary who were selling drugs, now, I, 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 to me today, like today, that sounds like that sounds like ridiculous to me to think of third graders selling drugs. I think it was really ridiculous in 1989. Like, just imagine a third grader being like, "Hey, you want some coke?" I don't like. I don't know how that would happen. Like, I, 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 I can't imagine it. But apparently, that's what was happening. And my parents were so concerned about that 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 was what took you know pushed them over the edge. They're like, well, we're kind of worried about Chris not being challenged, but we really are concerned that he might be susceptible to a coke dealer in in first grade. And so we're 
we're like, so, so, we're, we're, so they made the decision because they wanted me to be challenged and they wanted my sister to be challenged and they wanted us to not deal with some of those like, you know, distractions and things that, they, that we shouldn't be dealing with at a young age. They said, we're going to pull you out of school and we're going to homeschool you. And from an educational standpoint, I am so, so, so glad that they pulled me out of, uh, that, they, that they put me in, in homeschool, that they, that they did that, that, that I, was never, I was never bored with homeschool. We were doing stuff in seventh grade. We were doing math. We were doing trigonometry in seventh grade math in homeschool. And then I went to public school and I, I, I tested into pre-algebra and I was like, I, I think this isn't right. Anyway, so like, but like from an educational standpoint, I can diagram sentences like no other. Like, I mean, like, like I, like, I, I'm so, so, so glad for the foundation that I got in, in, in homeschool. I'm so, so, so glad that I didn't get hooked on drugs in third grade. Like, I'm really glad for, 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 for what that did for me and what that did for our family. But I know that it didn't come without a cost, right? Like, I know from hearing things that my parents would say while, they, while I was growing up, they would talk about the cost of homeschooling. They would talk about the idea that, hey, we're not sending you to school, but our property taxes didn't go down at all. And now we also have to buy the books and we have to pay for the curriculum. We have to pay for all this and pay for this. And I remember them saying something like $500, $600 a year for my stuff, for my sister's stuff. And that's a lot of money back in the early 90s. Like, like the, and, and that's what they were doing. On top of that, I know that because my mom stayed home to homeschool us, she didn't go back to work when a lot of moms go back to work when the kids hit school, when, when there's no longer any kids at home. So, she, so they lost that income. I know there was vacations that we didn't take because we couldn't afford because they paid for our books in, in different years. And so I know it came with sacrifices. And I know if you were to ask my parents, they would be like, you know what? It was it worth it? Yes. And I have asked my parents, I said, is it worth it? They said, yes. The only thing that we would do different today because of what we've seen is we would make the decision faster. They said, look, we, like, yeah, we gave up on some vacations. It was worth it. We gave up on, on eating. We didn't eat out as much as we probably would have liked to. It was worth it. We didn't do this, in it, but it was worth it. Mom didn't go back to work, but it was worth it. They said, it's worth it because we love the education you got. We love that you didn't have to deal with some of the distractions that other people your age had to deal with. We, we love that you got to focus on school and you got to move at the pace that you wanted to move at, which was quick. They said, we loved all that. It was so worth it. That's the power of sacrifice. That's the power of, sacrifice, of believing in something so much that you're, worth, that you're willing to give up on something else that you love. And so all of us, at some point along the way, if you're an adult now, you're an adult now because someone along the way probably sacrificed something for you and for your benefit. That maybe your parents did that or maybe your grandparents did that. that they gave up something they loved so that you could have the future that you have today. Maybe as a parent, if you're a parent now, you're learning the value of sacrifice, of putting aside your own wants and desires for the needs of your kids. You're learning that. And if you're a single adult, you're like, I, I, I know that, I, that, I, that I've experienced and been the beneficiary of someone else's sacrifice, sacrifice along the way. We all know that it's a powerful concept. We all know that great things can happen when people sacrifice. At the same time, many of us fail to sacrifice on our, on our own. We, 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 we're not particularly good at it. We're not particularly good at going, well, I want this in the future and I have to give this up now, but I love this now and I don't want to give it up. And so I'll figure out the future in the future and I'm not going to give this up now. So why is it that if we all know that it's a powerful concept, if we all know if it's a powerful thing, why do so many of us struggle with it? If you're ever asked that question, I think Jesus has a really interesting answer that he gave in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's about to go into what's called the Beatitudes. And, and he's about to talk about, you know, blessed are these people, blessed are these people, blessed are these people, blessed are these people. But before he gets to the part where he's talking about the blessing, the blessed people, he starts to talk about people who struggle when it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to, to giving up something in order to get something down, down the road. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or 
he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And then Jesus said, you cannot serve both what? And what? Yeah, you can't serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And what Jesus is implying here is something that's so powerful, but this is the reason many of us fail to sacrifice. Jesus would say the reason we won't sacrifice financial is because money and stuff has become our master. Jesus would say the reason we can't, can't or won't or don't sacrifice financially is because money and stuff has become our master. We have been mastered by our money. We've been mastered by our desire for stuff. And Jesus says, look, you can't serve God and serve money at the same time. At some point along the way, you need to decide who's the master and who's the servant. He says either money can be a servant to, 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 to the real master, God, or you can try to use God as a servant to serve the money that you want and the stuff that you want and the stuff that you want to have. But it doesn't really work out to serve both of them. And you've got to choose. And what Jesus knew and what I know and what you know and what all of us know from any, any sacrificial system in the world is simply this, that, that we always sacrifice something to our master. We always sacrifice something to our master. Something always gets given up for our master. Something always gets given up for whatever or whoever has mastered us. And when money and stuff have become our master, we refuse to give up money. We refuse to sacrifice money because we're not going to sacrifice money to, the, to, to our master, which is money. We sacrifice other things. We sacrifice peace of mind. We sacrifice our future. We sacrifice time with our family because we have to work overtime to pay for things that we've already used and thrown away. We sacrifice sleep out of worry and we sacrifice our relationships. And so, and so what we end up doing is going like, you know, stuff, 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 money, money, money. And I like God, but God goes, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. I want to be the master of your life. I want to be the master of your heart. I want to be the master of your mind. And in order for that to be, it may be possible that you have to give up and sacrifice some stuff now, sacrifice some financial decisions now in order to invite me into the process. And I know what, what, what Jesus would say and what I would say is simply this, that money is, is a wonderful tool, but money is a terrible master. When you end up making decisions because of money, it's a terrible master. When you end up not being able to do things because the money is not there because of something that you did in the past, it's a terrible master. God is a wonderful master. Money is a great tool to serve the real master, but money is a terrible master. And so then Jesus went on. He said, look, you're going to sacrifice something to whoever you serve, whether it's money or whether it's God, but you're going to sacrifice one for the other. So then he ends this thought by saying this. He says, so don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? And the things that we all worry about so much. How are we going to pay this? How are we going to pay for this? How are we going to pay for that? How are we going to pay for that? He says, for the Gentiles, those people who don't worship God, for the Gentiles, those people who don't even know God, they don't pay any, any attention to God. He says, they eagerly seek all these things. That's what their mind is consumed by. They eagerly seek all these things. He says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. In other words, God didn't wake up going like, man, okay, let's try to figure out what Serena's going to need. We'll figure out what Linda's going to need, figure out what Logan's going to need, figure out what Aaron's going to need, figure out what Chris is like. How are we going to figure this out? God's like, I've got this. I, I know exactly what you need. He says, your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And he says this, but seek first. Would you guys say seek first? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. 
He says, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the things that matter to God. Seek first the people that matter to God. Seek, things, seek th- first the relationships that matter to God. Seek first the relationships that God has given you and given priority in your life. Seek first the things that matter most. Seek first the things that will last. Jesus would say, always be willing to trade the temporary for the lasting and don't trade what's lasting for something temporary. Always be willing to trade the temporary, the here and now, for something that is to come, for something then and there that's better. And don't trade what's then and there for something that's so false and so flimsy and so temporary now. Always be willing to trade the temporary for the lasting. And don't ever trade what's lasting for something temporary. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we embrace sacrifice as a value in our own lives? How do we embrace this value and this virtue of sacrifice? I think we have to pay attention to something that Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 6. He said this. He said, go to the ant, you slacker. <laughs> Don't you love that scripture calls you a slacker? Like, it's like when I read it, scripture calls me a slacker. When you read it, scripture calls you a slacker. He says, go to the ant, you slacker. You're like, wait, wait, wait. Is God calling me a slacker? Is Jesus calling me a slacker? No, 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 no. Solomon was calling you a slacker. The wisest man who ever lived is calling you a slacker. He says, go to the ant, you slacker. Pay attention to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. In other words, by watching the way ants function, we could actually become wise. We can learn something about the way life is supposed to work. He says this in verse 7 and 8. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. In other words, an ant goes out. I mean, we've, we've all seen this. At a, if, you're, if you're outside at a picnic, if you're ever eating outside, you've seen ants you know, pick up these crumbs that are like four times the size of them, and they carry them away. And you're like, man, that ant is ambitious. That ant is strong. That ant is carrying something that's way bigger than them. How, do, how are they even doing this? And and what Solomon says is that ant gets home. It takes it back to its spot, back to its lair, back to its whatever. But it doesn't go, ah, I got this big old crumb and it's all mine. Yay. And it doesn't devour it all in one sitting. What an ant does that's wise that Solomon knew and that we all know is the ants store it for the winter. They go, hey, we're going to sacrifice now. We're not going to eat everything that we want now. Even though we want to eat everything now, we're not going to eat everything now. We're going to store some of it for the winter to come. We're going to provide for our family for the winter to come. We're going to provide for our brothers and sisters, and there's millions of them, for the winter to come. That winter, there will not be crumbs. Winter, there will not be stuff that we can go grab. We're going to sacrifice now so that we have it then. We're going to sacrifice now so we have it then. In other words, an ant has mastered the art of thinking ahead to the future and making today's decisions in light of future hopes and dreams. And Solomon says that we should live like that. So here's the thing. We're going to em- in order to embrace sacrifice, we're going to embrace three ideas. And the first one is simply this. We're going to ask, what do I really want? What do I really want? So I'm just going to ask ask us to ask this together. We're going to say this all together. What do I really want? I need you to say it with the same attitude, okay? There's that one word that's in bold and it's green and it's, you know, kind of tilted on its side. It's because that's really, ask ourselves, what do I really want? So on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. What do I really want? Yeah, What what do I really want? In other words, many of us, we're, we're in difficult positions that where we find ourselves going, man, I, I'd, have to ask, I'd have to sacrifice so much because we have never asked ourselves the question, what do I really want? Like, what matters most? What matters most right now and what matters most in the future? For some of you, you, you have gone years and years and years of paying for Christmas on credit cards, and you actually spend, find, find yourself paying off Christmas in May every year. 
And you're, you're tired of that cycle. You're tired, tired of doing that. You're tired of paying off Christmas at Easter. And you're going, you know what I would really love? You know what I would really love? I would really love to be able to have a debt-free Christmas. Maybe that's what you really want. Maybe what you really want is to retire early. You saw your parents or your grandparents hit 65 and 67 and 68, and they were still working. They were struggling, and their body was falling apart. You're like, I don't want that to be me. And so you're thinking, I want to retire early. It's a great goal. But what do you, what do you really, are you willing to sacrifice for that? Is, are you thinking some of us, like I want, to stay, I want one of us to be able to stay home with the kids. That's a great goal. But are you willing to sacrifice to maybe live a little bit, a little bit smaller house, maybe have a, drive a little bit older car so that, you can, so that one of you can stay home with the kids? Are you thinking we want a bigger home for the bigger family that we want to have? We want to have four or five kids, six kids, seven kids. That's a lot of kids. Like how, like, but we want to have a lot of kids. We want to have a big family. Are you willing to sacrifice a, a, a everything's new house, everything's stainless house, everything's granite house, all the, all the cabinets are new house for something that maybe is a little bit older, maybe not as nice, but gives you the space that you need for the family that you want to have. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice to have to, because you want to have a fully funded church? Now, you, chances are you, you don't think about this stuff, but I think about this stuff, that I want our church to continually be able to say yes to whatever God puts in front of us, and we can only do that when we have a fully funded church, and when we have a, a church that is, is able to say yes because the Money is in the bank. Are we willing to sacrifice to do that? I remember when, when, when Jalen and I were in the process making the decision of whether or not of, of when to come over and, and plant Movement Church and or were we supposed to plant Movement Church and all this kind of stuff. And we were living and working in Alamogordo and she had a great job and I had a great job and I was working as a youth pastor and I'd been a youth pastor for eight years and, um, and I was making I was making good money as a youth pastor. Like, I was making more than I should have been making, probably. Um, uh, and I, I remember um, the day that we started to, like, put the financial projections down for what, you know, what, what our, our beginning years would look like from a financial standpoint as a church and as a church planter. And I remember the day we sat down with a, a financial advisor uh, who had done some church planting stuff, and they said, here's, here's what your salary probably should be in the community that you're going to plant. And I looked at the number, and I went, that is about a third less than what I make as a youth pastor. So I'm going to pay, I'm going to take a one-third pay cut to go start a church. And Jalen and I looked at each other and we said, is this what we really want? Do we want to do, do we believe this is the call of God in our life enough that we're willing to take a one-third pay cut for at least the first three years? And we looked at each other and we said, is this still what we're called to do? Yep. What do I really want? Because if, re- if this is what I really want, I'm willing to sacrifice anything. Well, if, if this is what we really feel called to do, we're re- ready to sacrifice anything. So ask, what do I really want? The second thing is that we're going to say no to things that I don't need. We're going to say no to things I don't need. So we're just going to get really good at saying the word no today, okay? So on the count of three, can you guys all just say no? Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, okay, now that was good, but I think it, it, when, when you're faced with the temptation to spend, when you want Chipotle and it's 11 o'clock at night and you don't have any food and you're, and you're like, it, that, that, that no is going to want to turn into a yes. So I need you to like big, audacious, bold no. Ready? One, two, three. No. That was about the same. All right, great. So, so we're going to say no to things that I don't need. So let me ask you some questions. Here's, here's where these creep up. We need to replace our vehicle, but do we need to buy a new car? This is, yeah, this is where you answer no, yeah. No. 
We, you know, this, this, is, this is like, look, the car, the car that we have, we're spending more on repairs than we would spend on, a, on, a, on an upgraded vehicle. So we need to upgrade the vehicle, but do we need to drive a, new car, a brand new car? No. We can upgrade the car without buying a brand new car where we get ourselves into payments that we can't afford and pay a whole bunch of interest that we shouldn't be paying. So, do, so we need to replace our vehicle. Do we need a new car? No. Do I need to go tanning in a booth or before vacation? No, but tan lines. Okay, no one's gonna care. Do you, like you know, like you. If if I can just go outside and get the same tan in my backyard as I could get in a booth, no one's gonna care about your tan lines. And you're paying enough for vacation already. Don't add to the, the to the cost of vacation by going tanning in, in in a way that you can't afford. Do I need to get into? Do I need to order an appetizer before the meal? No. Some of you are like, I don't know. Some of you are like, the appetizer kind of is the meal for me. Like, and here's the, like, you know, if, if, I'm, if, I, if I'm eating a meal, do I need the appetizer? Probably not. Is, is my financial picture better if I don't order the appetizer before the meal? Yeah. So I'm going to say no to things that I don't really need. Um, do I need a new outfit for this, for this event? Now, some of you already said yes. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. See, men and women, we say we, say we, we have nothing to wear you know, because we're like, well, I have nothing to wear. And men and women, we say that for very different reasons. When women say it, it means I have nothing new to wear, right? When men say it, it means I have nothing clean to wear. Okay, and so, so, so let me just kind of help everybody save a whole bunch of money. Guys, let me, let me talk to you for a second. If you have access to a washer and dryer, you can get something clean to wear. Yay, yeah, right? Yeah, first service, all the ladies clapped at the door. Like, yeah, get him, Chris, get him, Chris. And then, ladies, let me talk to you because if for the last wedding that you were at, no one cared what you were wearing. Now, Marissa, you, you know, people cared what you were wearing. You were the bride in it, okay? So, like, you, you get a pass. But if you were at a wedding, no one cared what you were wearing then, and no one will care what you're wearing to the next wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Awkward, huh? Fun, right? I mean, like, it, so it, here's the question. Do I, do I need it? And if it's not something that I need, maybe I actually don't need to spend the money on it. There was a conversation I had with, with one of my best friends. We grew up together, um, went to church together growing up. We try to see each other every year when we get up, up, up to Wisconsin for the holidays. Um, his, his, his name is Craig, and, and Craig um, got married a, a long time before I got married, and so he's got, he's got three kids. He's got an 11-year-old daughter, a, a six-year-old daughter, or a seven-year-old daughter, and a, I think a four-year-old daughter. He's got three girls, um, and, and he, we were talking last Thanksgiving, and, and he said to me, Chris, I, I mean, I'm trying to figure this out because, you know, he's like, We've, we've always made so much money that it's kind of become a problem. We don't know how to say no to our girls because we never have to say no. And so we've always just, you know, spent, you know, if, if they have a need or if they have a want, we're just like, charge it, put it on the card, put it on the card, put it on like, like our daughters just think money is always around and always available. I don't know how to teach them, you know, that we don't, that, that, that we're going to say no because we've never had to say no. And I said, well, there's two ways to solve that, Craig. One, you could give me some money, and then you would need to say no. That, that, that was one option. And I said, but Craig, like, when you were growing up, did your parents, always, like, when they said no, did they always say no because they had to say no or because they chose to say no? He's like, probably some of both. I'm like, okay. So you will never have to say no because you don't have the finances to, to buy something for your girls. But you will never teach them discipline if you, if, you, if you say yes every time they want something. Sometimes we, have to, we, we learn to say no because we, because we choose to say no, not because we have to say no. Does that make sense? And so we choose to say no to things that we don't need rather than having to say no to things that we don't need. And if we'll do that, we sacrifice to create a better financial future for ourselves. So we say no to things that we don't need. And the final thing that we do is we trade short-term for long-term. We trade short-term 
for long term. So here's the, here's the question. I have this long-term thing that I want to do. You have this long-term thing that you want to do. You have a long-term picture that you have of what, you're, what you want your finances to look like. And the question when it comes to sacrifice is, are you willing to sacrifice something in the short term so that you can experience the long-term that you want to experience? So for, for many of you, you're co- you know, a lot of college students within our church, and you're like, student debt, student debt, student loans, student loans, student loans. And like when you think, when you hear the word student loans, you start to hyperventilate and you start to like, oh, I can't breathe. Why can't I breathe? You just said student loans. I get it again. Like it hurts. And so you're thinking like, well, I want to graduate and I want to not have a whole, a whole lot of debt. I want to not be carrying a ton of debt into a marriage. And all this kind of, like, I, I don't want to do that. So how do I do that? But go to college and afford to live and all that kind of stuff. Here's, here's, here's an idea. Maybe it means that for a short season of life for three years that you take on extra roommates. And so you have a two bedroom apartment, but you have four people there. Or maybe you have a two-bedroom apartment, but you have six, and you've got like bunk, bunk, bunk beds, and you've got all this, like, and, and, and you know, it's like, it's going to be tight, it's going to be cramped, but we're not going to have to spend as much on living so we, can, so we can put more of our actual money towards college, not take out a whole bunch of loans, so we're going to maybe have extra roommates. Maybe it means that you bike to work instead of drive to work. Maybe it means you pack your lunch instead of going out for lunch. Maybe it means that you make coffee at home instead of getting Starbucks. I just said something that, like, you just, you just, you're like, some, did you know that you can make coffee at home? Did you know that? Did you, did you know that? I don't know, if you, and I don't know if everyone knows this because the way we go to Starbucks and the way we go to Dunkin' Donuts, like, you would think that people don't know that you can actually make it at home. You would think, like, that, like wait, we, we, we have an option where we don't have to spend $6 on coffee in the morning? What? We, 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 can, we can do that? Yeah, I didn't, and I'm not a coffee drinker. I didn't know that people could actually do this. My mother-in-law actually, because she likes to drink coffee, she brought a, a coffee maker over to her house. I was like, what is that? She said, it's a coffee maker. I said, like, where people could make coffee at home? She said, yeah, it's a magical device, yeah. Maybe it means for a short term, you give up drinking coffee at Starbucks and you make your own so that you can afford something and build something down the road. When I, uh, when, I, when I was living in Alamo, in, 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 I, I moved there in 2007, late, late 2007, um, and in 2010, I decided that I wanted to buy a house. I, I made the decision that I wanted to buy a house. There was a government thing that was going on. If you remember, some of you will remember this, some of you are way too young to remember this, but in 2008, there was kind of the recession that hit, and in 2009, like, home buying, like, hit a bottom, and, and the government was like, we need people to buy homes. So they put out this $8,000 tax rebate that you got if you were a first-time home buyer, and I was like, I would like to get that $8,000. That sounds really nice. That sounds like a wonderful idea. So I remember thinking, I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to buy a house so I can get $8,000. Wonderful decision. Anyway, so I remember making the decision in December of 2009 that I was going to buy a house. And with the way the program was set up, you had to have the contract on the house by April 2010. And so when I looked at my financial like plan, I was like, okay, so what's the plan? And what I had in my bank account, I said I had my, my bank account and I had $1,000 in savings. I had kind of like my emergency fund and that was it. And I had just made the decision that I wanted to buy a house. And the way that the program that you, I was going to use to buy the house, I had to have 3.5% as a down payment. 3.5% of the cost of the house for a down payment. And most of what I was looking at, I was going to need somewhere between three and $4,000 for a down payment. And again, I had 1000 And I had, four th- or I had four months, essentially, to save $4,000 because I didn't want to wipe out the emergency fund. So I said, okay, I got four months to save $4,000. How am I going to do that? Because up to that point, I had worked and lived there for two and a half years, and I had saved zero. And so what I did is I looked at what I was doing, and I realized how stupid I had been. I realized that I had been eating out anywhere between eight to ten times a week. 
like, which even as I say it, it's embarrassing to say that because that's how dumb it was. I was eating out eight to 10 times a week and I made the decision, I'm going to eat out one time a week after our youth group. I'm going to go out with the students and we're going to go out to Taco Bell and they'll wonder, why is Pastor Chris ordering from the dollar menu? Because that's what Pastor Chris can afford right now, okay? And so, so I went out one time a week, went out to Taco Bell after youth group, ordered the uh, cheesy Fiesta potatoes and a gordita from the dollar menu. And it's like, that's my meal. That's my jam. Got my Baja Blast. And it was, it was, like, it was like, okay, we're good. This is wonderful. That's fine. So I, so I decided I was going to eat in a lot more than I, than, than I, than I had been. And I was going to eat out a lot less than I had been. I also decided that I was going to eat in as cheap as possible. And so, so you know, there's, there's the stories of like, you know, in college, it's, it's like, like, I'm going to survive on ramen and Easy Mac and ramen and Easy Mac. I'm going to survive in, in college on, on ramen and Easy Mac. Well, you can also do that at 26 when you're saving up for a down payment for a house. And so I decided that I was going to live on Easy Mac and ramen for, for four months. I had hot dog. My, my shopping list was hot dogs, Easy Mac and ramen for four months. That, that, was my, that was my shopping list, which is why I have the wonderful body I have now. Anyway, so, like, so, so I decided I was going to do that for four months. It was, it was a short-term thing that could do a long-term thing. I also made the decision that when my lease was up in December on my $600 a month apartment, I was going to leave that. And I had a friend who offered, a, sort of a, guy, a guy in our church who offered that I could move into his extra room for $200 a month. Now, it, this was not a particularly good experience. We didn't particularly love each other. He, uh, he, 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 we had Wi-Fi in the house, and he would cut the Wi-Fi every Monday night so that he could play World of Warcraft, and then I couldn't do anything. And I was like, mm, I don't care about those trolls. You're know, like, oh, whatever. And, and so, like, so it, it, but, it was, it, but here's the thing. I saved $400 a month on my, on my living expenses. I didn't go anywhere out of town that required me to drive for four months. And so here's the thing. At the end of that four months, I had saved $4,500. I actually saved more than I needed for the down payment. So I was able to put a little bit bigger down payment down. And I'm just telling you, like when we actually get the idea that for the short term, I can give up something in the short term in order to accomplish something in the long term. I can give up something in the short term so that I can save like crazy to be able to put a, a down payment on the house that, we're, that I want to buy. I can do something in the short term. I can live with extra roommates so that I can have less student loans. I can, I can, I can ride to work for a little bit so, because I'm saving up to buy a car. Like I'm doing that so that, so that I can do something down the road. I'm, I'm willing to trade the short term for the long term. And so, so here's the thing. We're, we're going we're to do that. Let's just be the people that make that decision, that we're going to embrace sacrifice, that we're going to ask, you know, make, like, what do I really want? That we're willing to say no to things that we don't really need, and that we're going to trade the short term for the long term. And here's the thing. If we make the decision to do that, if we sacrifice just for sacrifice's sake, it's really dumb. Really dumb. Just like we said the first week with discipline. Discipline for discipline's sake, kind of dumb. Sacrifice for sacrifice's sake, kind of dumb. Oh, look at what I'm willing to give up. Yeah, I just, I just ate you know, ramen and mac and cheese for four months. Why'd you do that? No reason. Just want to be a sacrificer. Okay. Cool story, bro. You know, like, it's, it's like... It's just kind of it's just kind of dumb. But sacrifice with a purpose, sacrifice because there's something down the road that I want that, that I that I believe in so much that I think is so valuable that I'm willing to give up something now. That's really smart. Sacrifice so that you don't so that you're not paying off Christmas at Easter. That's smart. Sacrifice so that you don't have to worry about how to pay a medical bill. Smart. Sacrifice so that you're not crushed with student loans the second that you finish school. Smart. I mean, I've got some, I've mentioned this before. I think every time I talk about finances, I feel like I tell this story so someday you guys will get sick of it. But I went, I went, to, went to Bible school and I have 
two friends who both went to school to be missionaries and they got married to each other and they both felt called to go to Africa and, and to work with some impoverished groups over there. And they felt like that was the absolute call of God on their lives, but they didn't know that they couldn't go to Africa with, with world missions while having crushing student debt. And unfortunately, each of them took out about $40,000 in student loans to go through Bible school. And so after going through Bible school to go be a missionary, they were told that they could not go be a missionary because of the debt that they had accumulated in Bible school. So here's the thing. The other thing I would say is sacrifice so that you're not crushed with student loans, so that you have to say no to some things that God is asking you to say yes to. That's smart. If you're be, being a person who says, I'm willing to sacrifice now so that in the future I can live out the call of God on my, on my life, it's smart. It's smart. It's smart. Sacrifice so that your church can continue being a force for good in a city that needs a lot of good. It's smart. So let's just make that decision. Let's make the decision that money is not our master. God is our master. Let's make the decision that money isn't our master, but we can master our money. We can choose to use money as a tool to serve the ultimate master. Let's make the decision that we'll trade the short term for the long term. Let's make the decision that we'll say no to things that we don't really need because they don't really matter. Let's be people who say, I'm going to be willing to sacrifice so that I can say yes to what matters most. And let's watch what God does in our hearts and in our minds, in our decisions, in every part of our lives. As we simply say yes to God, we say no to the things that matter less than God. And we sacrifice to watch what God does in our hearts, what God does in our lives, and what God ultimately does through us as we become people willing to sacrifice. Let me pray for you.